0: What should you expect before you are expecting? Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. Did you know that the Bronx has one of the highest rates of maternal morbidity and mortality in New York City? In 2015, 9.3% of women did not get prenatal care, if at all, compared to 5.5% in the rest of New York City. Compared to their white counterparts, Black and Hispanic women receive prenatal care later in their pregnancies. Delayed prenatal care is associated with increased rates of preterm delivery, low birth weight, and congenital malformations. With me today to discuss the importance of prenatal care and how one can best prepare for pregnancy is Dr. Paris Thomas, OBGYN attending here at SBH Health System. Welcome Dr. Thomas.
1: Thank you. you. It's nice being
0: here. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I wanted to jump right in and talk to you about the steps that one can take to prepare to have a baby. You know, I feel like we talk about pregnancy and it's always like like kind of like a hysteria or it's like a lot of fear or honestly, some pregnancies are unintended. So I kind of want to give a little bit of love to the folks that want to prepare for their babies. And, you know, how can they do that? What's what are the steps?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think um, probably the first step is to be your best self, be your healthiest self. You know, make sure that you're exercising, make sure you're uh, eating properly. If you do drink alcohol um, and you want to prepare for a baby, it's probably best to quit, actually. For that time because it actually decreases your chance of becoming pregnant. Moderate drinking will decrease your chance of becoming pregnant. Same thing with smoking or any other um, recreational habits. It's just best to, you know, cut those things out. It's also good to at least three months before you're thinking about having the baby to start taking folic acid uh, supplement uh folic acid is important for the development of the basically the spinal cord of the baby and what they've found is that by the time women realize that they're pregnant the spinal cord is already developed it's already developing so it's always best to have that on board even before you're you know even before you conceive so you know go to the pharmacy get some folic acid supplements at least 3 months before you really plan on having that baby You can also take prenatal vitamins, but you just have to make sure that the folic acid component is 400 micrograms at least. So those
0: are. mm -hmm. Oh, and I was going to ask about diet as well. I love that you said that before having a baby, you want to be your best self. And that means like your physical health as well as your mental health. Um, And so you suggested a few vitamins that folks should be taking. And what about diet? Are there any things that folks should maybe like um, not eat anymore or have like maybe less of?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, before conception, you know, you don't have the same dietary restrictions as you will when you're pregnant so from that standpoint yes you can you know you're free to eat your raw steak and your sushi or Mm -hmm. whatever but you know in general and I think this just expands into all of medicine we you know recommend less sugar there's so much sugar in everything you know more plant-based you know plant-based diet and just a very balanced diet fruit more fruits more vegetables uh, than what we're probably used to eating on a day-to-day basis but i don't i can't say i would necessarily restrict anything um you do want to make sure that everything is balanced um, especially things like especially things like the vitamins
0: Mm -hmm. And why is it so important for folks to not only prepare um, themselves and to be healthy both physically and emotionally, but also why is it important for folks to embark on prenatal care as early as possible? It's
1: very important to start as soon as possible because, you know, pregnancy is one of those aspects in medicine that you only get 10 months. And that sounds like a long time, but it's not. Every single week counts. Every single week, there's a possibility that uh, we as a providers can find potential problems or guide the patient uh, into a better direction. And if you start your prenatal care late, not only is there a possibility you've missed very important tests or you've missed a critical time period, there may have been things that we could have intervened on that that now we can't, or the intervention comes very late and it's not as effective as it would have been if it had been at the beginning of the pregnancy.
0: Could you give some examples about those tests that are super beneficial for early in your pregnancy that some folks may miss because, you know, they find out a little bit later or they may not have been able to plan?
1: Yes, so some of those tests are, um, a lot of them fall under the same umbrella as the genetic um, screening test. There's different categories of this. There's your aneuploidy screening test things Uh, that we screen for, like Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome, and other very quite serious um, chromosomal abnormalities, we can screen those as early as like 9 to 10 weeks. Whereas if you present at 32 weeks, we could still do the screening process, but in terms of intervention, you know, there may not be as many options for you by that point. The other type of testing in the genetic, genetic category is your genetic carrier status. And the way I always tell patients is that you are a young, healthy person. You don't know that you have a carrier status for a certain disease, but something like sickle cell disease where you may have the recessive trait that can be passed on to your baby from you and then your partner may have that recessive trait, your baby can then be affected by something very serious. Baby could be very sick and it's a lifelong um, course. Again, the earlier you screen for things like that, uh, the earlier that you can discuss uh, interventions, treatments, you know, the possible prognosis of that uh, pregnancy. And in fact, that the genetic carrier screening can actually be done before the patient gets pregnant. Mm -hmm. So they can know that even and have an idea even before they try to conceive.
0: Yeah, that's so important. and I don't think a lot of folks like know that this is for our audience that you can, if you're curious about genetic testing or if you know that you're predisposed that you can start having those conversations when you're planning to get pregnant and kind of to build on that. So we mentioned genetic testing. We mentioned just like generally like some tests that should be done early in pregnancy. What other questions or concerns um, should parents be coming to their OB-GYN about when they're in that planning stage? You mean, before they get pregnant, yeah, so before they get pregnant, um, what other conversations would you encourage patients to be having with you? I you know before they get
1: pregnant, they should also look into their family history a little bit. Yeah. you know mm-hmm. did does your sister does she have preeclampsia? Does your mom have diabetes? You know, are there certain medical problems that your family has that actually impact your care moving forward. That's one thing to start looking at. Some the other thing too, we you know, we're talking about mom a lot. You can also start to look into his family history. Are there um genetic syndromes that are running in his family as well? Those are things that people probably don't think about. You know, I I um just to put it out there, you know, I just had my baby. She's going to be like seven months Congratulations! (laughs) Soon. Congratulations! <laughs> and that was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of things I had to think about, you know, like my mom had very, uh, she had help syndrome and she almost died having me. So it was actually mm-hmm. important for my OB to know that information. But that's something as a provider, I know to ask to get more information out of patients, but they also need to start, you know, what were the pregnancies like in their family? Were there issues that seem to come up quite often? that maybe the doctor needs to know about.
0: And that's such a good point. So like, for example, my mom, um, she had issues conceiving. She conceived pretty later on. She was about 37, 38. And when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm sure that you, and I know that polycystic ovarian syndrome is genetic and you might be able to speak to like the issues that folks have when trying to conceive when they have PCOS. But I could imagine that, you know, my mom may have had PCOS and she didn't know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Uh, asking those questions are so important and they do say that like your your um, pregnancies may be similar to like your um your parents um and i don't know how true that is from like a medical perspective but um yeah it's so important to be asking those questions to be speaking to your siblings um your aunts um about you know their experiences with pregnancy
1: yes absolutely
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess like to kind of move us along or shift gears a little bit, what should one expect when they're in those beginning um, doctor's appointments with you, you know, when they first find out that they are pregnant? What are those conversations like? What are those visits like? I know after some point, you know, someone comes starts coming in weekly to yeah. see you. Yeah, so those first, you know, when, when,
1: you first get pregnant, it is nice. Sometimes it's hard to know, but it is nice to know when your last period is. Um, it gives you an eye I- or gives us an idea how far along you are, so we can start planning, you know, your visits from there on out. In the first trimester, we don't see you as often. Some patients things look out for like vaginal bleeding or spotting. Um, abdominal pain and cramping. In that first trimester, or sorry, in the early stages of pregnancy, we want to make sure that your pregnancy is in the right place. Um, It's not something that people think about, but not all pregnancies are going to lead to a healthy baby. Some pregnancies are going to be ectopic pregnancies or Mm -hmm. miscarriages. So in the first, um, I would say, if you come in very early, like five, six weeks, those first few weeks, we're just assessing for viability. And there's Mm -hmm. not too much that, you know, a patient can do if if unfortunately the pregnancy does head towards a miscarriage, but we're there to just monitor and make sure that, you know, the bleeding isn't too heavy if that's the way that that pregnancy is going to go. If that doesn't happen, you know, once we establish viability, you'd come see us about every four weeks. In the first trimester, we do a lot of blood work. We're screening you for all those genetic Genetic problems. We're screening for certain, actually, most of the sexually transmitted diseases, and that's just routine, including HIV and syphilis. We want to see if you're immune to certain diseases that can cause congenital abnormalities to the baby, like uh, rubella and um, varicella Mm -hmm. or (laughs) chickenpox. And then as the uh, pregnancy progresses, we'll see you more frequently, and in about 36 weeks, we'll see you about Every week. And that's to check in, you know, see if you're in those early stages of labor or if you've broken your water and, and to check the fetal heart rate, uh, check to make sure your baby is okay.
0: Nice. And I know that some, now that we're in this um, pandemic and we're in the world of COVID right now, a lot of services have been moved over to telehealth. Are you still seeing patients via telehealth for these like early appointments?
1: For me personally, when it comes to pregnancy, I still like to see them in person. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to, you know, assess the heart rate, the fetal heart rate, for instance. Um, You know, after, I don't know, like after 20 weeks, most patients can feel their baby moving around. But I would rather, you know, see them in person. Make sure everything is okay because the other thing, too, is sometimes a patient will tell you something like, oh, it feels like I might have broken my water and then I want to send them to labor and delivery, for instance. So for me, I like seeing them in person. I know that some providers do uh, some telehealth visits, but that's going to be, you know, provider specific.
0: Yeah, based on preference, and I know that COVID has, like, turned our world upside down and around and then spinned it. Do you think that it is safe for folks that, you know, want to start a family um, to do that now, especially given what you mentioned about, you know, I mean, I know telehealth is more accessible for a lot of folks. Um, For some folks, it's not because they don't have access to Wi-Fi, they don't have access to, um, to internet access, that's stable, they don't have access to phones, computers, so, you know, being able to speak with you may be difficult. So I guess, what is your opinion on, you know, starting a family now? And is the booster and vaccine safe for folks that want to start a family?
1: Yes. So those are all really good questions. I think that, you know, now is probably as good a time as any, if you want to start a family, because there's other things to consider too, that, you know, patients have to really seriously weigh. If you're, 35 36 37 maybe you don't want to keep waiting forever and ever because even now it's been what it's now three years Mm -hmm. since everything you know since this pandemic really took over it's been three years so we don't know how long we're going to be in this middle area where the mass mandate goes down and it comes back up and you know you could be waiting for another three years, and that may not be an option for you if you're, especially if you're on the older end, or maybe your financial situation is more optimal now. I would say that now is probably as good a time as any. If you you have no reason to delay, you don't want to delay, and the the uh, a good reason for that is because of the vaccine. Uh, you mentioned it. So our College of obstetrics and gynecology, recommends the vaccine for pregnant patients. All three doses, it's safe in pregnancy. And, you know, not, uh, not only is it safe in pregnancy, COVID itself is not good in pregnancy, can lead to a lot of morbidity and mortality. You know, when you're pregnant, you're immunocompromised. So getting sick with anything is never great. And then when you are pregnant, Oftentimes, when a woman gets sick and she's pregnant, it puts the pregnancy at risk for preterm uh, delivery and um, fetal demise or the death of the baby as the body is fighting a very serious illness. So they do recommend uh, the COVID vaccine for the pregnant patients. The last benefit is not only do you know they believe the antibodies are coming in to your baby while it's in the womb, if you are someone who can breastfeed, your baby will likely also get those antibodies through the breast milk as they do all the other antibodies.
0: Oh my, that's really interesting. And also good to know that, you know, it is safe to um, get the vaccine, whether you're whatever stage you're in, in your pregnancy journey, whether it's like the planning stage or even the first trimester. Um, and from what you're saying, it seems like even if you're in that second or third, it's still pretty safe based on what you know, ACOG has um, mentioned. And I wanted to just take a little step back because we talked about just how COVID-19 has impacted not only people's decisions around getting pregnant, but also just like how our appointments are set up, you know, if we're utilizing telemedicine or not. From your own personal experiences, you know, working through this pandemic, how has the the COVID-19 pandemic impacted your prenatal care services, um, if at all? And maybe if you want to speak to, like, the questions that you're getting now from um, parents, and maybe we could kind of, like, clear the air for other listeners that have the same questions.
1: Yeah, so I know here, one of the big things is during your prenatal care, we don't really allow, we don't allow guests back into the exam rooms. So it's really the provider speaking with the mom and the partner, whoever she brings, mom, whoever it is, has to wait in the waiting room. Depending on their prenatal course, for instance, if they have a genetic um, concern, I may have to talk to both uh, parents to let them know that I have to test the partner and and all of this. But uh, routinely speaking, we're not really we're not allowing guests with mm-hmm. our patients. So in a way, it's it can be a little bit of a lonely journey mm-hmm. because they're going to every visit by themselves. But on the labor and delivery floor, they're allowed uh, two two um, guests with them. So that's that's good. But that's probably the big. That's probably the biggest change. That um you know, the mask really cut down on, you know, that face-to-face uh, personal interaction. Like it's it's even difficult to recognize people with mask on all the time. But it's necessary. And then yes, there were uh, prenatal telehealth visits. So that's a a big change. That's been a big change in medicine, I think, since this pandemic. You know, before everyone was seen in person, but now, you know. Some people have telehealth visits and Mm -hmm. that works for them.
0: Yeah, and I know you mentioned like your preference is for you to like see folks in person so that you can really assess those serious issues that may come up during pregnancy. So that's awesome that, you know, you've been like, you know what, I'm taking a stance on like how I can ensure my patient's safety as well as ensuring that they have this like safe pregnancy as well. So that's awesome. And I wanted to end with you kind of like speaking to any like myths or kind of like miscommunication that you've heard from your patients about like pregnancy is there anything that has come up where you're just that you've heard that have been um some myths that you're like oh my god that is so wrong (laughs) (laughs) um that you kind of want to help clear the air for our listeners there's there's
1: I can't even think of one thing there's so there's so many things I Mm -hmm. really can't because you know every once in a while you'll hear something you really have to you know, no, it's really not like this. I think, actually, no, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that comes up probably the most often is how long, how long it takes to have a baby. Mm. Because the number one question we get asked is, uh, when is the baby coming? And the answer is always, I don't know, because the <laughs> baby comes whenever it feels like coming at the end of the day. You know, we can give you medications and we can you know, try to help the process move along faster. But ultimately, I don't know. I'm never going to know. <laughs> and you, and sometimes it takes a long time, especially first baby. A lot of p- patients are impatient. They think something is inherently wrong when the, the labor is going on, as long as it does. And it's not. It just, it really takes a long time. It can take um, two, three days. And the other thing that patients need to realize is that normal labor is very different from an induction because even women who have had babies before they'll go through an induction and they're wondering what is taking so long but the you know an induction you're forcing the body to do something it wasn't ready for which can can take a long time so you know i i wish people that's something i I wish we could do a little bit more of is educate them just on the natural process of childbirth it can take a long time it can be very painful it may not be um, everyone's experience is going to be very different and it's up to you how you want to deal with that pain you don't have to have a c-section mm-hmm. for women who have had one c-section and want to try for a vaginal delivery a lot of them have misconceptions on whether or not they can even try i've heard all kinds of things Oh well last time my baby was upside down or breech so I I think I need to repeat this time. Well we we haven't even checked the position yet. You know you're already setting yourself up for a C-section you may not even need. So a lot of people I think need to be aware of the fact that it can take a it can take a while mm-hmm. and and that's normal and that's fine. And we're we're here if something is abnormal to you know do the appropriate treatment.
0: Yeah. And I know that SBH is really trying to push for that um, educational component for patients like our pregnant patients, as well as those that are considering pregnancy. We have our baby scripts app for pregnant folks so they can kind of keep track of their pregnancy as well as, you know, have um, specific information for how far along they are in. We also were um, utilizing the centering pregnancy model as well, doing like, you know, those group sessions you can learn from other moms, which is amazing. Um, And you mentioned a lot about kind of, you know, that a lot of things are unknown about, you know, the the birthing process and the birthing experience. Um, And sometimes having a birthing plan will go right out the door at the moment you kind of walk in that room. And that's why, you know, there's always that um, push for patient advocates and like for doulas and things like that. Do you think a dou- someone should kind of look into having a doula prior to um, getting pregnant or is that a conversation that kind of starts in the beginning? Um, that's a good
1: question. I
0: think that, I mean, you can always look at doulas before
1: the pregnancy, but it's probably more helpful as your pregnancy progresses mm-hmm. and as your experience, you know, as you start to get a sense of how you're responding to your own pregnancy, how much support you're gonna need. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's pregnancy is different, but I do think that dual, like that support system is very, very important. I think it goes unrecognized. Having a really good support system is very important.
0: Yeah, and I feel like one um, sentiment that I'll kind of like end us with is that, you know, it really does take a village and that village starts even before you get pregnant. And I think doulas are part of that support system. Your OBGYN is a part of that system, um, that support system or your midwife, your family, um, your uh, mental health care providers, like it all, that's your village, like for mom, for parent. And then, you know, we bring that village with us when we have our babies. So thank you so, so much for joining us. And um, Dr. Thomas, you have been amazing and so informative. For more information about um, SBH's OBG GYN services, please visit sbhny.org. And we'll be putting in some more resources in our description below. So thank you for tuning in to SBH Bronx Health Talk. And thank you again, Dr. Thomas, for joining us. Thank you.